ready for the Olympic Games. It is crazy. I mean, my mum and dad are over the moon. Family, my friends think that it's the best thing that's ever happened to them <laughs> in their lives. You know, I just did sport for fun and my first coach just encouraged that enjoyment in it and I owe him a lot because I had a long time in sport where I never ever dreamt going to Olympic Games was possible. What an incredible opportunity to be in Olympics to you know to throw those distances. Touch wood if I make the final then it's going to be very interesting to sort of be a part of that and be in that atmosphere and see how the guys change and deal with that situation in their own way. Welcome to the England Athletics Podcast. This episode is a Team GB Olympic special. Race walker Tom Bosworth, hammer thrower Taylor Campbell, high jumper Emily Borthwick and pole vaulter Harry Koppel are four athletes excited about Tokyo 2020, with the latter three making their Olympic debuts at the Games. You'll hear a focus on where they started in the sport, what's required in their event both mentally and in technical terms, and a look ahead to potentially taking their Tokyo experience into next summer's home Commonwealth Games in Birmingham with England. My name's Alex Seftel, and I started off by talking to British record holder Tom Bosworth about how things are going in preparation for 20 kilometres of race walking at the Tunbridge Club Athletes' second Olympic Games. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's, it's been a long old uh, build to these Games, and uh, we... We're very relieved. I think there's a lot of relieved athletes to be just to be here. And so, uh, you know, Team GB have done a brilliant job at creating the environment we're in. Shame that we're not able to get out and, and experience a little bit of Japanese culture. But the important thing is we can focus on our race, uh, you know, and that's the important thing at the end of the day. Uh, uh, the competition is all that matters. And it's, it's great to be in this sort of multi-sport team environment because it's so unique to the Games and it's, it's kind of bringing back great memories from Rio. I can't really put it into words. I've tried to explain it to some of the athletes. This is their first games. And so it's, it's a real unique atmosphere in the village. It's just something so special, especially when those first medalists come back returning from their competition. And you just get a little bit of a taste for it. And you see the buzz around them and, and you see the smile on their face when they're not wearing a mask. Yeah, it's, it's just really special. And, and as I say, you, you won't get this anywhere else in the world except at an Olympic Games and that still exists even in this COVID Games. What about the heat that we well might be expecting? Is that something you've had to train specifically for? Yes yes many many hours in in the heat chamber as usually we're trying to have got to some hot countries but obviously given the way of the world that wasn't possible and so many hours done up at Leeds Beckett University and so right now you know I'm confident in the kind of the fitness and adaptations put in place I'm not even worried about it because we went into Doha with the same strategy that we've gone into Tokyo and we kind of learned from that that it works uh, what we were doing was successful I wasn't very fit going into Doha I'd suffered with an injury all summer and done very little training but we've done a lot of heat work that kind of got me fit and, and meant I was able to deal with an hour and 20 minutes in horrific conditions. I'm hoping up in Sapporo, since, since the walks in the marathon has been moved, uh, you know, it might be a little bit more bearable, but we've still been training worst case scenario um, conditions. So hopefully anything should feel more comfortable and, and easy to perform in. Yeah, indeed. And obviously a successful Commonwealth Games as well for you getting a medal there, silver medal from an England perspective. So also taking something from that experience, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. The difference between 
for me for between Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020 is these experiences of being at the front of a race. I've until Rio, I've never really been at the front of, of major competitions before. And I've learned so much about racing. It always used to be when I was younger about getting qualifying times or getting faster. Now I know I don't need to get faster. I just need to know how to win. And so obviously standing on the podium at the Commonwealth Games as the England Athletics team co-captain was so, so special and, and was unique. I want to obviously do it again, but that's easier said than done. Those sorts of experiences will, will hopefully make sure I have a very successful Games this time around. Right. So talking about race walking specifically, what should we be watching out for? Obviously, you have two key rules and then just to, to keep out for who's getting tired, who's holding their form and how things can change, how athletes can sometimes be reeled in in a different way to what we might see in some distance running races. This is something I really like to highlight is, uh, the, you know, the jeopardy that comes with race walking. You know, from the first kilometre to the last kilometre, you can see athletes disqualified despite being in first or, or in last place. Uh, and you have one bad lap, as I experienced in London 2017, and, and you, you can be out. You know, many people, they question race walking, you know, about the rules and things. You've always got to land with a straight leg and you've got to have no loss of, contact uh, but you know people s- screenshot and slow down at our races and say oh look all those athletes have, have both feet off the ground and that's race walking it's not judged using technology that uh, would take take it beyond sort of affordable means if you brought technology into it and so the judges are well trained and that's what they're looking for as soon as it becomes visible uh, having both feet off the ground you can see an athlete disqualified in the space of a lap and you know I've experienced it and others have and so that excitement of, of disqualification and I think that's how it should be seen really for those watching it is it could happen at any point and it's not like the athletes who are purposely trying to cheat or gain any sort of advantage. It could just be fatigue, inexperience, fitter than, than perhaps their technique is. And this is kind of just a whole new sort of aspect to people who've, who've watched maybe marathon running, but never watched a race walk event before. I was watching the European uh, under 23, under 20 championships recently. And uh, well, another thing I, I learned as a bit of a side note was that the Spanish race walking team has an official pet that is a rubber chicken which the under-23 winner actually crossed the line uh, holding, which was something of a bizarre scene to see. Does Team GB have any kind of mascot, or or maybe (laughs) you are the Team GB race-walking mascot, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) we obviously have the lion uh, for Team GB, but no, there won't be any uh, animals joining me on on the the race (laughs) course, that's for sure. Maybe just my dog in the back of my mind who will be cheering me on from home. (laughs) That's about it. And what about you and the profile of race walking being heightened both over the last couple of years generally and heading into the Olympics because you've been on uh, featuring on BBC TV programmes as well. And I suppose just pleased, I know you will be, to get more attention both on a general level and coming into these games. Yeah, I mean, since I set my first British record 10 years ago, the way has changed and is viewed it's been brilliant in athletics and it was never a goal of mine to set out to change my success at the beginning I guess made me realize how perhaps people don't understand the event and 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 how race walkers aren't treated the same as everybody else as it is that forgotten event and probably not very well respected and and I know it's not everybody's cup of tea and it, and it never will be and I, I understand that but what I've tried to show is it can be entertaining uh, you can get behind and support 
you know, the athletes, when you get to know them and know their people's personalities. And that's really important across all athletics. Is that's how people become passionate in sport is because they start to know and see these athletes regularly and on a regular basis. I know I'm probably getting closer towards the end of my career, but pardon the pun, if I walk away from the sport now without ever having another medal or another sort of success, I'm beyond proud of everything I've achieved and, and I couldn't have done it without sort of my coach uh, and th- those based uh, at home who have supported or banged on the door at various governing bodies or sponsors or TV events and said, come on, let's do something. Let, let's uh, make sure these race walkers are included. And it's been a team effort, that's for sure. But a lot of people talk about legacy and I like to think that race walking is in a much better place thanks to me and my team. And that fills me with pride. I want to ask you about the mental side of the sport. You've been quite honest about your mental health. You mentioned on social media about, quite naturally, I think, um, experiencing an unprecedented level of anxiety. What do you think is key to having a healthy mindset coming into such a big experience like this? We've all kind of been reminded that there could be a lot worse things going on. And the fact that we're at an Olympic Games right now is, is very, very special. And I think for those kind of worried that they're not getting the full Olympic experience, they're right. They're, they're not. They're absolutely not getting it. And it's not the payoff that uh, these guys debuting at Olympic Games deserve. But you're still becoming an Olympian. And, and that's, at the end of the day, all that matters. And as I say, the way of the world, it's so fantastic that we're here. And, and I think that, you know, obviously we're expecting medals and great, great success. But for people who didn't make the Games or, or who you know, might not perform here, there's almost a bit of a, not a let off, but just to get here, it's been the hardest Olympic Games to qualify for and get to without a doubt. So uh, I think that's helped everybody put it all into context and try and enjoy the experience uh, as well as succeed. And finally then, just take me back to when you started in the sport, those around you at your club from an early age, in the context of how much a dream it would have been then to make another Olympic Games? Well, my, my first coach, Peter Selby at Tunbridge Athletics Club, said to me, um, you know, you'll be great at the longer distances at 20 kilometres and, and that sort of thing. And I, I was doing about three kilometres, I think my race distance was as a 12, 13 year old at the time. And uh, <laughs> I said there was no chance at all. And I remember doing my first 10K in about the same time, not far off what I do 20K in nowadays. So, you know, I just did sport for fun. And my first coach just encouraged that enjoyment in it. And I owe him a lot because I had a long time in sport where I never, ever dreamt going to Olympic Games was possible. You know, it wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't even an option, let alone now to be sat here about to become a double Olympian. I have lost for words every time, to be honest, because I can't believe it. And, and that's my message to sort of parents, school teachers, Brothers, sisters, encourage your siblings, yourself to do sport and, and keep going at whatever you're passionate at, uh, whether that's in, in sport or art or music, even if you're really bad at it, like I was, you know, you just don't know where hard work and commitment and turning up every single day will take you. And I think I'm living proof of that. Emily Bolthwick, how exciting then, your first ever Olympic Games. How's it feel for you so far? Um, To be honest, it's just about sinking in. In the beginning, it was so surreal and just quite overwhelming. 
but obviously we're getting closer. Yeah, it's starting to feel really real now. You seem to be taking everything in your stride, just being up at this level. It doesn't seem to be any different from you. Has that been key to maybe your consistency this year, taking it all as it comes? I think so, yeah. And the other thing is not getting ahead of myself. I mean, I knew I was in good shape coming into this outdoor season. I've shown that consistency all year so far. After Gateshead, I knew that I was capable of reaching these games. I mean, I didn't quite get the auto qualifier, but I did enough in my performances and obviously in previous, like the indoor championships, to prove that I did deserve to be here and be up against these girls. And yeah, that's it, you know, taking every week, every competition as it came and yeah, just remaining consistent and then the heights the heights would come and, and so they did. Yeah, and so you've had a, a bit of media coverage. I think you wrote an article in the Times, was it? Just explaining a bit about the high jump. Just tell us a bit, let's say people are watching you in the high jump and want a bit more understanding of what goes on technically. What, what happens in those few seconds then? So for us, obviously consistency again is key so as the bar goes up you want to try and replicate the same jump every time and um, so even if it's at 170 you'll be clearing it by miles and you know as long as you replicate that jump at the 80s the 90s then you're going to clear those bars as well I think in those seconds you know there's excitement there's there's nervousness there's there's that wanting to jump you know out your skin literally over the bar and for me it's just so exciting, you know, performing on a world stage and just doing something that I love so much. That enjoyment that I get, being on my mark and ready to to run up to the bar, is just, yeah, it, it means everything. What's been the reaction of those at your club, in your family? How have they taken it? So obviously when you're like 10, 11, 12 and you say to people, oh, I'd love to go to the Olympics, I want to be an Olympian. And then you say, oh, so realistically where you're looking at and my dad would go Tokyo could be there um but you never know what happens and to actually be here in Japan ready for the Olympic Games it is crazy I mean my mum and dad are over the moon um my family my friends think that it's the best thing that's ever happened to them (laughs) in their lives you know so it's yeah it's incredible and the support that I've had from home is amazing And yeah, I think we're all kind of a little bit like overwhelmed and excited and, you know, not sure what to expect. So we're just taking it day by day and just, yeah, keeping that enjoyment that I've had all year. I started athletics when I was seven. So I've been doing this for over 16 years now. I think my first competition was when I was nine and it was somewhere in Burnley, I think. And I was doing every single event possible, trying to win as many medals as possible, as you do when you're young. You just want to you just want to compete all the time. You want to be with your brand new friends that you've made at, at the local club. And, you know, you want to be traveling around with your parents, taking you everywhere and trying to trying to get a, a gold medal at all these competitions. So I think the excitement that I had when I was seven, eight, nine, it's still within me now because you know, I love the sport and I wouldn't have been doing it for the last 16 years if I didn't. And I've changed my events quite a few times. I mean, high jump's only been my focus for the last five years because um, I did fours, pentathlon, 300s. You know, I've put my hand in at everything. And I think that was really, really important for me to get to this point, to just enjoy every aspect of this sport and then find something that's just brings out the best in me. What will you take from the international experience that you've had so far? You were at the European 
indoor championships in Poland in March. That was kind of your first taste. Maybe you went in with a bit less uh, expectation, if anything, and that helped you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, I went into that as like an underdog. There was no expectation for me to even be there. And then to make my first major final and my first major chance was incredible to me. And obviously, I'm going into the Olympics. Literally, I was ranked 32 out of 32 on the world rankings. So I have honestly nothing to lose now. Everything's a bonus for me. Getting here was incredible. And I know that I'm in PV shape again. Um, and I know that I'm capable of making the final. So if I can repeat what I did indoors, then yeah, that would be perfect. What have your family said about watching difficult time zone, perhaps for everyone to catch it? Do you think they'll stay up all night? From what I've heard, yeah, definitely. My mum's organising all the family to come round. Obviously, within COVID rules, I don't know what the restrictions are at the minute. But yeah, I think people are going to get together. Um, my friends at home are definitely going to be together watching it at 1am, I think, on the 5th is our qualifying. And then obviously the finals at 11am on Saturday the 7th. So that's a little bit easier. But I mean... They know how much it means to me and they're so proud. So, of course, they'll be watching in real time. And, of course, there could be future championships on the horizon as well. From an England athletics perspective, there's the Commonwealth Games next year. What would it mean to compete, of course, at what would be a home championships? I mean, that would be incredible. And I think, you know, the level of high jump in the Commonwealth is, is incredible as well with the Australian girls and obviously myself and Morgan. So, you know, it's going to be a real battle and to be able to perform on home soil next year in Birmingham will be an incredible experience and hopefully we can, we can bring home some really, really good medals. So hopefully that gold and that silver at least will be ours to take back. High jumper Emily Borthwick. Ten years ago, she lined up as a pentathlete at the England Under-15 Combined Events Championships indoors in Sheffield and look at her now in the Japanese capital Tokyo. For the Olympic Games. Hope you're enjoying these interviews. In a moment, we'll hear from hammer thrower Taylor Campbell. But we move next to pole vaulter Harry Koppel, another debutant in Tokyo who has needed unexpected help from a dentist. Harry Koppel, first of all, how are you feeling? I know you had an unfortunate incident a few days ago with the pole during training that you wouldn't have expected. So how are you doing? I'm actually feeling great. Um, <laughs> weirdly, that was one of the best sessions I've had in a while, and it's been followed up again by some great bolting sessions. I do still sound a little bit weird from all the uh, the dental work that I've had done, but, you know, we've got some teeth back in my face, so I, uh, well, I mean, I look okay now and I feel great, so I just can't wait to get into the village and get competing now. What exactly happened? Basically, the pole landed on your, your face. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, ca I came down on the bar, which basically pinged it, pinged it up into the air, I could see it like coming down and I thought, okay, I'll just put my hands up and catch it. But um, between being in the stadium with all the lights and then just it coming down a lot faster than I thought, it basically hit my fingers, bent all of my fingers back and just went straight into my face. At the first instance, I thought I'd lost both front teeth. I went instantly into shock because I thought I'd swallowed one. But after finding out that I just chipped, I chipped one really badly. We found the piece on the bed, which has since been put back on. And then I, I fractured another, so that's where most of the work's been done. But um, if I put, if I knock the bar off again, I'm just going to cower underneath my hands and, uh, and hope for the best. Yeah, well, all credit to everyone for their dental work, I'm sure. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, so then we can concentrate now on, on what you came here for and, and the Olympic Games. Just 
take me back to when you started in the sport and how much it would have meant to you as that young boy. I think you won your first England title in 2010 as a Wigan and District athlete. Yeah. Under 15 as well. Yeah. Do you remember that day? Yeah, I, re- I remember competing as a youngster a lot. Um, obviously, I have very fond memories of, uh, of competition at that age. First of all, because I, I obviously had some great friends around me. You know, when you sort of grow up in the sport, um, you compete against a lot of the same people. And it's similar now with the guys on the circuit. You know, you, you're always competing against people that you know and people that you like. So it's really easy to enjoy it. Very much like a group event when you go and compete and it's great. It's probably like really cliche to say, but every, every child comes into athletics one day dreaming of coming to an Olympic Games. After the last couple of years of me jumping well, we, I, you know, I started to believe that it was possible. Managed to jump the qualifier early 2020 um, and then back it up in the outdoor season. So this year was just about making the changes that I needed to make to jump as high as possible. And yeah, try and come here and just, just vault at the best I can. And that is uh, still what I intend to do. Yeah, when you talk about the same athletes, I remember England Championships a few years ago, very windy in Bedford, awful conditions for yeah. vaulting. And you and Charlie Myers and Adam Haig were all just sat in a circle and, and thinking, well, who, who can make the best of it on the day? And yeah. We often see great camaraderie between the vaulters. You know, it, a lot was made of Mondo Duplantis and Sam Kendricks holding umbrellas for each other. So there's a kind of cool, friendly dynamic. And, and then... I guess it just comes down to who also makes the most and steps up and, and competes well on the day. How do you kind of balance that informal uh, friendliness, but also you're there to compete? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant community to be a part of. I have very little experience with, with major championships. Um, however, from what I've sort of gathered from speaking to other people and from speaking to Scott, my coach, and obviously Hull, my uh, training partner, is that it's very much the same for the girls and the way that it is for guys. You know, it's a very close community. Now, obviously, that doesn't change when you go into a championships. Everyone's, everyone's still, you know, everyone's still really good friends and they still chat through it and things like that. But obviously, in the same light, you're not, you're not going to do something that's going to help somebody beat you at the end of the day. I think it'll be a little bit different to what I'm used to in a competition. But um, I still think the support and the, commu- like the community of guys coming together to you know, to have a great pole walk competition will be the same. It's just going to have a little bit of a different atmosphere, especially touch wood if I make the final, then it's going to be very interesting to sort of be a part of that and, you know, be in that atmosphere and see how the guys change and deal with that situation in their own way. Yeah, and you can guarantee that there will be a decent spotlight on the pole vault final and the pole vault competition generally, just because of how high the standard is mm-hmm. and how that the battle with those, you know, going over six meters quite regularly, which seems incredible. Yeah. And and on that note, it was at the Gateshead Diamond League where Sam Kendricks actually made a point of, of speaking about you individually and how oh, <laughs> he's been so pleased to see you progress and, and kind of absorb confidence since he's met you the last couple of years so what's that like to have yeah. the, you know the world champions kind of singing your praises as, as you progress like, like you say it's it's something that I bet you doesn't happen in a lot of sports and it's definitely a great feeling actually it's it's strange that um so when I like you know did my teeth the other week he actually facetimed me that night when I had like one tooth hanging out and like before I went to the dentist and all this stuff and yeah, he FaceTimed me. He was just like, what have you done? And then I was like, mate, I'm, I messed up and all this. And he, and he was just like, don't worry. He was like, did I never tell you? He went, all four of my front teeth are fake because he did the exact same thing a few years ago. And it was funny. Like, I'm sure in, um, I'm sure in with uh, Joe, Joe Bryan, he was just like, when I hung up and he was like, 
does that sound Kendricks? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, what? Like, it's it's such a straight, like, especially, I think, for people in other events, it's definitely such a, a strange thing. But, yeah, like, to have the support from the other guys, and it's, it's just a great feeling. Like I say, it's just a great event to be a part of all the time, even though, as you say, the, the standard now is so high, and it's going to be very difficult to, to you know, fill those top spots. But it's still just an amazing event to be a part of. Yeah, so you have to go some to have a smile like Sam Kendricks, though, <laughs> grinning ear to ear. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Just thinking then about slowing down the pole vault, because so much happens so quickly. Yeah. I've had various different analogies. It's a bit like a pendulum swinging, I think, uh, Trevor Fox, the coach of Adam Hayes, has described mm-hmm. it. Yeah, slow it down for us. What are you doing? What's required of your body in those few seconds at each stage? So, I mean, yeah, great question. Physically, your body goes through a lot anyway. So it's like you've got to have the speed of a sprinter, you know, the, the ability of a weightlifter, and then also the, the flexibility and the sort of nimbleness of a gymnast. It's a very strange balance to, uh, to get right. One thing that sticks in my head, especially when I think about the vault on the pole, is it just has to be as smooth as possible. You don't want, you don't want a jerky jump. You don't want it to be stopping and starting all the way through the middle. When you see a, a pole vault come down the runway, you should come down the runway and smoothly leave the floor and then go up towards the, uh, and over the bar. Or it should all look like one movement. Whereas if there's a lot of stopping and starting in between each movement, that's usually where things go wrong. But that's the main thing that I think about when I'm, because I'm obviously at a space where I've been doing the sport, I don't know now, how old am I? I want to say going on 13 years now, I've been in pole vaulting. So it's like uh, experience jump, as we refer to it a lot as your jump. So a lot of the time we won't, we won't do technical feedback and it'll just be like, we, I've got to do my jump. And that's how we sort of look at it. But the, the key thing that sticks in my mind as a cue for that is, yeah, just being smooth. Different pole vaulters like uh, different poles. Some of them bend faster and others are more stiff. Just explain that. The poles are basically measured in a few ways. You have uh, you have the length and the flex number. To anyone else, it would be a random digit. If you ever hear pole vaulters saying, oh, I'm going to a 13-1 or a 13-7, like that's, that's the flex number. The simple way of explaining it is the higher the number, the softer the pole. So a 20.0 compared to a 13.0 would be a massive flex number difference. And that's how we measure it. So that's how we know. So through a competition, you might use, you know, anywhere between like five and eight poles. You know, sorry, five's a bit much. But anywhere between one and eight poles you could use in a comp. But you will know between you and your coach that you're always on the right one for where where you're at physically, where you're at mentally that day, how the weather is, things like that. As far as like different brands that people enjoy to jump on, it's like, yeah, there's there's a couple of schools. Again, it's um, the traditional method is to jump on fiberglass poles. It's what I do myself with UCS Spirit. And um, it's what a lot of people do, including, you know, like Mondo, Renault. I think Bubka back in the day ended up off UCS Spirit. And there's also sort of new companies coming in. I would, I would like sum up Essex as a new company who Sam jumps with. And they're sort of like a carbon fiber, fiberglass blend. So like you say, it bends much faster and it recalls quicker. But I think it just depends on the, on the jumper. For example, if Renault tried to jump off Essex, it just, it just wouldn't work together because his jump is so much slower and so much like using the, the big bend of a UCS pole, whereas Sam's is just short, fast, he's off the floor, he's upside down, he's over the bar. It's all, it's all very quick, but I think it's just a very personal choice. Brilliant. Yeah, really interesting. And thanks for your insight. You said there you haven't had a huge amount of major championships experience. Of course, you, you did at youth level as well. But what about the Commonwealth Games from an England point of view next year? should be a great opportunity for you 
to gain more experience and maybe then, mm-hmm. as you say, Touchwood will have made an Olympic final and then will be in a great position in the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was, I was quite gutted to, to not be, have been jumping well enough to make the Gold Coast in 2018. Um, I think I jumped a couple of times just underneath the sand. I think I missed it by like five or ten centimetres. But yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to next year. As, oh, well, obviously, there's going to be three major championships really just in the outdoor season. So um, it's going to be busy. My first Commonwealth game, so hopefully my first England team. And then, yeah, that, that's straight final. Very different experience to other major championships. It's very difficult not to look at things like rankings and stuff like that, knowing that I'm going in quite highly and... I'm very excited for it, but like I'm going to see how training goes over the winter months and then we'll see where we're at for next year. What other sport would you be hoping to catch a bit of a, a glimpse of during this Olympics? Good question. On TVs here, obviously, I've been watching a lot of the new sports just because there's you know the stuff that you don't see. So I've been watching a lot of the, the skateboarding and stuff like that and I'm keeping an eye out for the climbing. I just want to soak it in, you know what I mean? I just, I just want to take as as much as I can from this because it's been a very strange trip for us you know we're in we're in isolation in our prep camp and then we go into the village we're not going to be allowed to do a lot of the things that we would usually do having the thing with my teeth has actually been weirdly like you know nobody else will ever have that Olympic experience even though it's been you know like chaos <laughs> it's very been very individual and very unique for me already but I believe we can get into some of the other venues to to actually watch in person. I believe there's athlete seating and things like that. So um, probably not around my competition, but afterwards, and uh, if I've got a little bit of time, I'll be definitely trying to get in and out of most arenas, just to have a look around and take in some of the sport. Get your teeth stuck into it. <laughs> You've certainly done that regarding this Olympics. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hi, my name is Abigail Irozaru and you're listening to the England Athletics Podcast. Taylor Campbell, preparing for your first Olympics. You've talked about on social media about the sacrifices and the training you've spent, hard work to get there. So tell me, put into words what it means. Uh, it means a lot, you know, especially given the last last 18 months, you're usually leading into an Olympics. I'd imagine it's quite a big thing and there's a lot of sacrifices, but definitely in the last 18 months, it's it's even more special because a lot's gone on and crazy with, with obviously the uh, COVID situation. So to, to push through that during difficult times for everyone was, uh, adds a lot more value to it, you know. Um, but to be here now, like it just, it doesn't seem, doesn't seem real. Yeah, I was going to ask at what point it, it sunk in. Often it's when people close to you start sending you lots of messages. What was that kind of reaction like? I think fortunately because I qualified, I qualified in early June. And in my head, I was like, well, that's going to be enough. There's no way they can't not send me that. So I had like a month until British Champs to process that. You've just thrown the, the qualifying standard. And it was just almost like, I was just, I could talk about it, but it was hypothetical. And I couldn't say, I'm definitely going to go. But, you know, you knew you knew it was going to happen. After British Champs, and it was like confirmed. I was like, right, you get out of dream world. You need to go back to training. You need to actually throw well at the games. You can't just be living the dream. You need to actually go and perform. So for me, it's like, I've done the big thing to get here. That the, uh, you know, the big journey and you look back and you think it was really hard to get hit. It was so difficult. And you saw your friends that drop off along the way and how, how many people love to be in the situation you're in. But you quickly snap out of that and you can got to get a good outcome here. You know, the process is good, but the outcome's got to be good. This year, four times over 75 metres, having not done so prior. What's been key to that consistency and improvement? It's just been just accumulating good training and making sure the body's healthy. I've got a really great team with uh, John Pearson, my uh, throws coach, um, in the East Midlands 
and Rob Miller, who's a British athletic strength and conditionist. Um, we've we've got a really good team. They're both smart guys, and you know they really kind of work collaborative together. John's uh, really good in terms of listening to my thoughts and my feelings with the throw, and you know he pulls the strings and makes sure that um, you know the, the training is based around me rather than something he wants to do. It's just based around what I what we think is best for me. Um, it's all very data led. No serious injuries, um, you know, and I've managed to put some size on this winter, which was important. You know, I'm still very light. Nick Miller's like 117 kilos. My competitors are like one 115 plus, you know, and I'm still like 107. I'm probably the t- one of the tallest, so I've still got quite a bit more size to, to get on, but we managed to put some on without taking too much away from the throw. So just accumulating loads of throwing, loads of lifting, you know, good technical improvements and just we just kept pushing. Even throughout all the lockdowns, we just kept finding ways to make it happen. Now, you talked about strength there and how important it is for a hammer thrower. Just to explain for people maybe watching the hammer for the first time, getting into it, and when they watch you at the Olympics, just what they kind of expect, what you're doing in those few seconds and what's important technically. When you're throwing, it's, 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 you're more of a ballet dancer than you are probably a, a weightlifter or anything. But <laughs> the, the, the more effortless you, you look, the more force you're producing. So the, by the time you're on your, your final turn, you're about to release it, there's about f- over 300 kilos worth of force going through your hands. And it's almost a balance of you've got to be as strong and as, as stable as you can, but you need to have all the skills and all the um, kind of like the the fluidity to be able to throw without tensing up, staying relaxed. So it's a real mix of being the biggest, scariest guy in, on the team, but also being like, very agile very skill-based as i say we're more like ballet dancers than we are track and field athletes which is why it's impressive i suppose to start to master the event at a young age and, and in your 20s take me back to what you remember of your first maybe national competitions first england best first england champs and kind of in the context of how much of a dream it would have been to make the olympics for that boy that teenager at that stage well, even before I even was throwing anything over 40 metres, as an under-13, I remember I went to the European Youth Olympics to watch my brother, and I remember putting on his uh, his European Youth Olympic GB jacket. He was a 400-metre runner. And uh, I, mean, I was like, oh, I want one of these. And then it was almost from there, it was like, okay, I want to go make the the world juice in 2013. It would have been five years later. Um, so it was almost like, okay, everything I was doing was built to make the world juice. Um, so I kept focusing, like, okay, now I've made the world juice. We want world juniors. Okay, well, junior, and it just came a process of just ticking up, ticking off the uh, all the age group champs, and then uh, before you know, you just progressed into the uh, into the senior ranks. But it was to me, when I was, I remember when I was like uh, sixteen, watching the London twenty twelve Olympics and watching Alex Smith, you know, Lawrence Sequoia, who's now a teammate, Brett Morse, Abdul Bahari. I remember watching them in all, like just thinking, like, what an incredible opportunity to to be an Olympics, to you know, to throw those distances, and you just you saw them as almost like these these role models these these superhuman people you just couldn't even like see how you could go from being this kid to to those people and to now be in the situation they were in but Alex Smith he threw 75 and it's like I can't believe I'm at my first Olympics I'm three meters further than what he did and as a kid I, I admired him so much so it's very it's a very strange situation to be in but yeah you, it's all for me it was just as a kid just I just wanted to tick off the next competition after the next competition and the Commonwealth Games competing for Team England was one of those just tell us about what you got from that experience and maybe what even you'll take into this? I learned a lot from my Commonwealth Games. I competed well, but I wasn't in the best of shape. 
Um, it humbled me very quick. It kind of said, you know, it's not going to be so easy at the senior level. That was my first senior comp. It taught me about, you know, the games experience, about being in the village, all the the major kind of things that kind of happened within a, a senior games. And I noticed a year later when I went to the, the World Shooting Games, how much more experience and how much more kind of desensitized I was to things going on because I've been to the Commonwealth. And that for me was a real big thing. Because rather than being like a, a deer in the headlights, you're kind of focused, you keep your head down. And that, that for me was, although I didn't throw well, I competed okay. You know, I, I finished fifth, but it was just the experience of just being at a senior competition at, of that scale. You know, when there's so much going on, there's, you know, you're getting all loads of free stuff. It kind of, it kind of like, it happens then, it desensitizes it to moving forward, you get used to it. There's a chance, of course, big chance that you'll be at the next Commonwealth Games in a year's time. Is that kind of semi on the horizon? Definitely. You know, I think for me, the, the biggest thing next year is going to be the Commonwealth Games. I, I, you know, as much as I'd love to do a World Champs, you can't beat a home Commonwealth Games, especially in Birmingham. You know, I could, I could roll out of bed in Loughborough and drive there within an hour. So being based in the Midlands now, that's, that's quite a nice opportunity to have. You know, you don't have those on your doorstep like that in, in usual times. So for me, that, that's the main focus next year. And, you know, at the moment, sitting on the Commonwealth lead, you know, it's, it's a nice position to be in. And it's, it's Chris Bennett's going to want to put in a good shift and I'm sure he's going to be out ready to throw, uh, make amends for the past couple of Commonwealths he's had. Nick's going to want to retain his title. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really competitive. It's going to be a good games. So when it comes to the day of your competition, what's going to be your preparation the morning before? Not doing anything out of the ordinary. There's no superstitions. There's no fixed way of this is what I want. I'll go have my normal breakfast. I'll go do everything as normal. Get my body activated. Get the picture of how I'd like to throw. Think about that. Just, just relax, chill out, and just, just take it all in my stride. That's all I can do. I've not been to a games, uh, an Olympic games before, to say this is this is what I'm going to definitely do. Because I think as soon as you start creating expectations, you know, when you can't have those certain things, it's going to throw you off. So I'm just let's see how it is in the day. If if I wake up early, if I have a bit of a line, I'll be focused. You know, I know I'm in good shape. We've had a good season, so we just got to keep our head down and just we just do what we know we can do. And finally, what's the coolest thing? so far that you've seen about being at the Olympics? Maybe it's the Olympic breakfast, I don't know. <laughs> that is, Eggs Benedict was good this morning. The uh, the coolest thing, I think it's just nice to, for me, seeing all the other athletes that are qualifying that you've seen train hard for a, for a few years and you know knowing how much it means to me, knowing how much it will mean to them. You know, someone like Scott Lincoln, who he had to, he had to really step up this year to make, you know, throwing events aren't the easy ones to qualify for. You know, we have uh, only 32 spots. So to see other throwers qualify, it's like so nice because you just know exactly what they're going through, you know exactly how that feels and the level of competition, you know, the stigma of other countries may not doing it as cleanly as us. And he's been through the same system as I have. And now he's uh, he's here and it's got, you know, even a lot of people, even the people based in Loughborough, Jazz Sawyers, Ben Williams, to see them out here, Morgan Lake, it's, it's, it's really nice. It's, it's people you've known all your life. I've known Morgan, I think we did Star Trek back in 2004 together when um, Tim Benjamin was training for the uh, training for the, the Athens Olympics and we were there like as, as seven and eight year olds just doing athletics at the local athletics track and and uh, he was there so for her to be on the team now and him as team manager is quite nice. It's been great to talk to you all the best of luck. Nice one mate thank you very much. Well what a roller coaster ride for some of these athletes to become Olympians. They all came through national junior championships of course to get to this point Tom Bosworth of Tunbridge AC, who's based in Leeds. Taylor Campbell of Windsor Slough, Eton and Hounslow, who trains in Loughborough. And Harry Coppel 
and Emily Borthwick are both from the Wigan and District Club. I'm sure you'll join us in following the athletics action, particularly but not limited to those England athletes involved who, as we touched on, have the chance of the home Commonwealth Games in Birmingham to look forward to next year. Also to look forward to, the Manchester International, always a brilliant event and it's returning after the Olympic Games on Wednesday the 18th of August. Tickets are on sale now. £5 for adults and free for under 16s or seniors over 65. You can buy tickets at www.manchester-international.co.uk with more information about the event available on the England Athletics website. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and sayonara. Goodbye.